Welcome to Deep Down Things. I'm Dave Devil, professor of Catholic studies and editor of Logos, a journal of Catholic thought and culture. We have Phil Rolnick, our colleague at the University of St. Thomas. He's a theologian who's written a number of books on analogy, on faith and science. He has a new book coming out this summer, but also a great article on C.S. Lewis's Till We Have Faces. Welcome, Phil. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Liz. It's great to have you on. I've often described C.S. Lewis as the gateway drug to Catholicism. (laughs) You you get a little bit of his stuff on purgatory and the saints and confession, and pretty soon you're reading Chesterton and Newman and Aquinas. Um, He really does does, uh, play that function, but he, as you point out, he's also very accessible to uh, people from other Christian traditions as well. Uh, your your article for us, uh, Veiling and Unveiling, is about uh, one of his later works, and probably the work, as I mentioned before, that many people think is his greatest novel. He, I believe he thought that uh, Paralandra, uh, one of his space trilogy, was the best until he wrote this. Um, can you say a little bit about Till We Have Faces? What's the story, uh, and uh, what's what's the basic plot? And then we can talk a little bit about why you think it gives us some very useful ways to understand the revelation of God. Yes. Well, first, a a little background. You know, Lewis was deeply in love with Joy Davidman Mm -hmm. at the time he wrote this. Yes. So sometimes, you know, when, when one reads Tolkien and earlier Lewis, when they write about women, it seems like these women are either (laughs) saints that float above the ground and they're not flesh and blood, or they're rather the opposite. Mm -hmm. But Lewis really, I think, learned about women from Joy Davidman and from his just falling in love and having a great Eros love for her in her final years, right at the time he was writing this. And in fact, Joy Davidman in 1954 had published a book called Smoke on the Mountain, her converted Jewish take on Moses's mountain experience in the Ten Commandments. And Lewis knew that work well. And in 1956, when Till We Have Faces was published, I don't think he could have done it without Joy Davidman. Mm -hmm. In fact, as a young man, Lewis tried to write a new version of the myth of um, Cupid and Psyche because he felt that the redaction by Apuleius was unsatisfactory in some ways, but he had to give it up because he knew something was wrong, but he didn't know how to fix it. I think what helped him fix it was his conversion to Christianity at the age of 32. Mm -hmm. So now you have this guy who's read everything in English, who has this magnificent imagination, and it's now wedded to a robust Christian faith. And now he's got the tools to take this on, so one day, he and Joy Davidman are sitting around having some adult beverages, and they start <laughs> talking about the myth of Cupid and Psyche. And of course, we don't have access to everything that was said in that conversation. But apparently, Lewis jumped up at one point and just went into his study and wrote the entire first chapter. Mm-hmm. So he got the inspiration for how to do this. Mm-hmm. And yes, myth was so, so important because what a lot of people don't know. They know that Lewis converted to Christianity at the age of 32 or thereabouts, but there was a conversation that he had with Hugo Dyson and J.R.R. Tolkien late one night 
And some rather mystical things apparently took place. There was some kind of strange wind that they all spoke about. But they were talking about myth Mm. when all this came about. And Tolkien was quite critical of those saying, you know, you, you celebrate all these pagan myths, but you won't take seriously the mythological aspects of Christianity. So that was a key moment in Lewis's conversion. So myth, myth is big, big, big for Lewis. It's not just some tangential thing for him. It was part of his conversion. He later wrote that if he had to believe that the 999 myths of all the different world religions were false and Christianity was the only true one, he didn't think he would be able to do it. So he developed this notion that myth is a gleam of truth that is given to the human mind and to the human imagination, and that these myths are part of the human longing for God. So you probably know, Dave and Liz, about Lewis and this strange term that is usually, in German, it's Sehnsucht. It's usually translated as joy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So even when he was in his atheist phase, he would have these moments where he would be stopped up. He'd just stop, stop short, and he'd have this glimpse of something that was stirring him. And he, he just called it joy. Mm. And I think in Two We Have Faces, the mature Lewis is now trying his very best by rewriting the myth of Apuleius. He, the subtitle of Lewis's book is A Myth Retold. He's trying to articulate what that joy is. Yeah. He does it by changing up the characters slightly. I mean, it's the tale of uh, a woman, Psyche who becomes the lover of, the, of a god, Cupid. But Psyche and even Cupid is in some sense not the protagonist of Till We Have Faces. Absolutely right. He really, really tampers with Apuleius's redaction of the ancient myth, which most people think go back as far as the 4th century BC. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Apuleius writes it somewhat later. Lewis introduces a, a captured Greek guy that somebody captured in a combat way, way far away in Greece, but the slave traders brought him to Gloam, and his name is Fox. They call him Fox. And he teaches the sisters, he teaches them Greek philosophy. And most of what he teaches them is Stoic philosophy, which in today's terms would sound a lot like Immanuel Kant. Mm -hmm. And he refers to myth pointedly as, quote, lies of the poets, end quote. Right. But the fox is an interesting guy himself because he loves these myths more than the sister Oriole keeps seeing that he actually loves these myths that he claims not to believe in. But he is the one who has this incredible, magnificent literary confrontation with the priest of Gloam. The fox is trying to save Psyche's life from being sacrificed. The priest is saying that the sacrifice, he calls it the great sacrifice, will take place no matter what. And in this confrontation, it's like fox's rational criteria versus the mythological religious faith of the priest. Yeah. 
And when students first read this, for, or anyone reads this first time through, they always think Fox is going to be the hero of the story, but he's not. Right. Mm -hmm. It's going to be that Fox's heroism is going to be deconstructed. And interestingly enough, Lewis's grace, Lewis has grace even extend to Fox in the afterlife part of the story. Yeah. It's a wonderful touch that uh, Lewis has there in dealing with myth that reason and sort of pagan pagan religion are both partial, uh, both partially correct and partially flawed, and that what needs to happen is this encounter with the God in which there is an unveiling both of the God, but also taking a veil off of our eyes so that we can see. It, uh, it, it makes for a wonderful story, and you've, you've really laid it out well in, in your article. Well, thanks, Dave. You know, there is this question, like, what does a believer on her knees see yeah. that is a priori ruled out by skeptics, naturalists, and those too distracted even to look? Lewis's earlier fictional works, their great achievement notwithstanding, don't have the high artistry of Till We Have Faces, mm -hmm. but he really brings all of his skill together in this. To explore more and take a deep dive into Till We Have Faces and C.S. Lewis with Phil Rolnick, visit patreon.com backslash deep down things and become a patron of the show. Deep Down Things is part of the Catholic Answers family of podcasts. For lots more great Catholic radio and podcast programming, please download the Catholic Answers Live app.